Today, Mayor Jim Kinney told reporters COVID cases in Philadelphia jumped 700 percent in the last two months. He and Health Commissioner Tom Farley announced a slate of new restrictions in the city for six weeks designed to get things back under control. Previously, the city said it was doing its best to avoid a shutdown, instead encouraging personal responsibility when it came to combating the virus, things like mask wearing and social distancing. So why is the city changing its course now? And how much of a difference could these new restrictions make? I'm Annette John Hall. This is The Why. Nina Feldman is a health reporter for WHYY. Nina, these new restrictions are in response to a spike in COVID in Philadelphia. Just how bad is it? It's getting pretty bad. As of today, there are more than 55,000 positive cases in Philadelphia to date. And in just the past couple of weeks, the hospitalizations have more than doubled and deaths, while increasing at a slower rate than the cases or the hospitalizations, are starting to creep up. Um, We heard today from the health commissioner that there have been eight new deaths over the weekend, and that's definitely a higher number and a higher rate of increase than we've seen in a long time. So that's pretty worrisome. We heard that there were new restrictions. Can you walk me through these new restrictions announced today? Sure. So the city is calling this new round of restrictions the Safer at Home initiative or effort, and um, it will go into effect on Friday. And Health Commissioner Tom Farley said that the principles undergirding these new restrictions are modeled after what they're seeing work in Europe. Case rates are leveling in Germany and in the United Kingdom, and they're falling in France. And that change happened pretty quickly, about two to four weeks after they put the restrictions in place. So they don't want to close down entirely, but they want to have these sort of targeted evidence-based restrictions that are focused on the areas that they've seen to be the the areas where the spread occurs. So for at least the next six weeks and maybe more. We will prohibit indoor gatherings or events of any size in any location, public or private. That's because evidence shows that places where people are inside without masks is where the virus spreads. So gyms will be closed, museums, libraries, theaters, no more indoor dining at all. No visiting between households, no indoor weddings, funerals, baby showers. No private gatherings with people outside of your household. So, you know, even just having a neighbor or a friend over for dinner is prohibited based on these new rules. People indoors gathering together, not wearing masks right now is simply too risky. Outdoor dining is allowed, but a maximum of four people per table. And you you aren't supposed to eat with anybody outside of your own household. So, I mean, obviously, I think if you had a six-person household, they would make an exception for that. But the idea with putting that number four in place is to say, we're not mixing households. We don't want this virus to jump from one household to the next. All other outdoor gatherings would be limited to 10% of capacity and no food allowed. That means there will be no fans at football games. Work from home unless you absolutely can't. That was sort of already true, but it had been kind of sliding away, I think. So 
everybody who can work from home should. Retail will still be allowed, but stores will operate at a reduced capacity. And that's five people per every thousand square feet, including employees. This was the density we allowed uh, when we first reopened retail stores. But since then, the stores have generally stopped enforcing that and we've increased our limit. We're we're lowering that limit again and asking stores to enforce that limit again. And mask wearing, the city will really try to enforce that and ask store operators to enforce mask wearing in the facility. Um, It's it's not a stay-at-home order per se, but the city really, really is encouraging people to stay home as much as possible. And Mayor Jim Kenney said, you know, the longer it takes for people to start complying with these rules, the longer this virus is going to be with us and the worse it's going to be into the future. If people won't cooperate, refuse to follow what we're asking them to do, and the case count keeps going up, we'll be in this same spot next year. You know, this this is kind of a lot, and it's definitely a different tune for the city. How had they been handling things before this? That's right. For a long time, for many weeks leading up to this moment, even as we saw cases increasing, city officials were really trying to avoid any kind of lockdown. And, you know, this isn't a lockdown, but it's a lot of restrictions. And we've seen cases rising for many weeks. And as that happened, the city was reducing restrictions, you know, increasing indoor dining capacity from 25% to 50%. So I think they were sort of trying to hedge their bets a little bit and hope that case counts weren't increasing and serious cases, so hospitalizations and then, of course, deaths, weren't going to increase as these sort of small restrictions were loosened a little bit for a while. And what we were hearing instead of we're going to clamp down on society were these messages about personal responsibility, that it's incumbent on the individual to wash your hands, wear a mask, stay six feet apart. This is on you to control the virus. So we were pretty much relying on each other to do the right thing. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think part of what happened is we saw people's willingness to do that wane a little bit. People got COVID fatigue. I talked to a lot of people who expressed that sort of exhaustion with having to be making those types of calculated decisions all the time. One of them was Adriana Kaplan. She's 29. She's a software engineer living in South Philly. And when I talked to her, she said that at first she took the pandemic super seriously. She was really stringent about following the guidelines. I did lock myself down. I wasn't going out, got food delivered and everything. And then starting in May, the weather got a little bit nicer. And she kind of started inching her way out of the house I started walking over to, like, the local corner store. She was sure to go at off hours so that the the store wouldn't be crowded. And then she was pretty close with her neighbors, and so she would start seeing them again outside on the block, first with masks on, and then after a little while without masks on. I started going into work more often. And she was dating. She was seeing friends. She went home to see her parents. So... She kept doing these riskier and riskier activities. The few times I did go out, like, no, nothing was happening to me. I wasn't hearing anybody close to me having it. The longer it went on, the more distant I felt it felt. 
There were moments over the summer where Adriana was almost able to forget that there was a pandemic happening at all, you know? And and part of that is because there weren't rules in place telling her she should be pulling back on what she was doing. She was just kind of going about her everyday life just wearing a mask most of the time. And there's actually evidence to show that she's not alone in that. Health Commissioner Farley said that... The data we get from smartphones say that in early April... Uh, when we had the shutdown, people greatly reduced the time that they spent out of home uh, and interacting with other people. The epidemic subsided very quickly. But that activity now has returned nearly to pre-epidemic levels. So people were just kind of creeping back to normal with masks over their mouths. Why do you think it took the city so long to put these additional restrictions in and rely less on people taking personal responsibility? There are a few reasons. One, restrictions have a big impact on businesses that are already struggling to stay open. So in in the press conference, the health commissioner and the mayor both acknowledge a lot of people are going to be put out of work because of this. And some businesses may go under. We also know that the consequences to health of not doing it are really bad. Last time there was a lockdown, we had the Federal CARES Act, which provided support for small businesses and larger businesses to help carry them through. And we don't have that this time. You know, Jim Kenney said that he wanted to get the restrictions in place first to help save lives and not overwhelm hospitals. And then he would lobby in Harrisburg and in Washington later to try to get that funding coming down the pike to help people. But it's not there now. And and I think as the possibilities for a stimulus package seemed more and more remote in Washington, local officials kind of felt like their hands were tied and they wanted to put the restrictions in place, but they knew that without the support for their residents, they were going to be screwed. So uh, it was kind of an impossible situation. And if you can't pay people to stay home or pay businesses to stay closed, how can you expect them to survive and, and stick it out on the other end? We'll be right back. Supporting WHYY Penn Medicine, helping to find new cures for cancer. With life-saving clinical trials and advanced surgical techniques, Penn Medicine is offering more hope for patients everywhere. Learn more at pennmedicine.org cancer. Penn Medicine, what's next? This is The Why. I'm Annette John Hall, and I'm talking to Nina Feldman about the city's new COVID-19 restrictions and what can be done to stop the spread. So, Nina, where we are now sounds pretty bleak. Is there something else we could have done to help prevent this spike? I think it's tempting to feel like we've done everything we can, but there is quite a bit out there that we just, as a society, made choices not to invest in. For instance, testing. Imagine a scenario where there were enough tests that could sort of allow people to operate in their daily life with a little bit more information and a little bit more of a sense of security about where the virus was and wasn't. Even if the tests are not great in that they may miss a few cases or that there may be false positives, on average, um, if everyone has access to them, uh, we'd be able to negotiate the types of activities we have and have a better feel that the world is safe, or at least certain groups of people um, are infection-free. 
That's something I talked to health economist Athindar Venkatramani. He's a health economist at Penn. We talked about this idea that, you know, we just didn't go in that direction with testing. And he described that as, as a failure. I don't really think we've tried to scale up testing in a way that would make it easier for us to negotiate our day-to-day interaction. If you think of testing, that is a surveillance strategy. That is a way that we can track and watch the virus and figure out how much of it there is and where it's spreading. If you think about lockdowns, those are an avoidance strategy. That's how to stay away from where we know the virus is and how it's transmitted. And then there's another sort of strategy that can be used to prevent the spread, which is called source control. And um, I talked to Dr. Bruce Davidson. He's a a pulmonologist who lives in Washington state now, but um, used to be Philadelphia's tuberculosis czar in the public health department here back when there was um, an outbreak in the 1990s. So he has thought a lot about preventing the transmission of airborne diseases. And he's real big on source control. Source control has has worked in the past. And his thing is, if you think about like cholera, we don't have a vaccine for that. We just stop it in the sewage treatment plants before it can get into our drinking water. And he has this similar idea based on some recent research that came out that shows that basic household mouthwash, like Listerine, is really effective at killing the coronavirus in a test tube. Listerine reduced it by over 50%. So that's a controlled trial, highly significant, and teaches us that gargling, something which kills the bug, will work in human throats. Nobody's going out and saying, if you are diagnosed with COVID-19, you should like drink Listerine. That is not a good idea. But what Davidson thinks, because so much of the coronavirus is actually kind of like seeping into our lungs, giving us pneumonia through our throat and just like hanging out there and slowly dripping down into our lungs, that's what makes a case really serious. His whole thing is if everybody was just gargling with Listerine every night and every morning, we could sort of preventatively cut off the virus at its source before it actually reaches our lungs, which is what makes COVID-19 so dangerous. And, you know, that would just reduce the number of serious cases and hospitalizations. And it's simple to do. This disinfecting your throat before you sleep with Listerine. There would need to be a lot of research and testing done on that. But these are just kind of concepts that I feel like we're not investing that much time and energy into. And instead, we're kind of putting a lot of eggs in the vaccine basket and sort of crossing our fingers in the meantime and hoping for the best. I mean, what we do hear about all the time is that we have to take personal responsibility to safeguard ourselves and others. You know, that's what we keep hearing all the time. That's right. It's wash your hands, stay six feet apart, don't trust anyone, don't trust your family, don't trust your friends. They're the ones who are most likely to give it to you. Live in a hole in the ground until we have a vaccine. I think as the virus feels more distant, it becomes a lot harder to keep in the very front of your mind all of the time. I talked to Gretchen Chapman. She's a psychologist at Carnegie Mellon, and she studies how people make decisions, especially in health contexts. Now we're supposed to learn about risk by looking at public health department websites to see how the cases are going up. And we're just not, our cognitive system is just not set up to respond to that input for risks. We're used to assessing risk by looking at our actions and the consequences of our actions. And if we walk around and nothing bad happens, then we're going to keep walking around. 
So the way she framed it was that the pandemic is a public goods problem. The way it's set up is everybody has to chip in and do their part for things to work. And we don't normally leave public goods problems up to individuals. We don't say, like, taxes would really help the federal government and community services. We think it should be up to individuals to donate taxes to the government, because if they do, it'll be so much better. That would not work. People would not do that. So under Chapman's analogy, that is basically what we've been doing as we've seen the virus spread. We've been saying, hey, everybody, please wear a mask around your friends and family. It's okay if if you really don't want to. We're not going to force you to, but you might kill people. Your choice. Make the decision yourself. But please do it. And, you know, what she's saying is rules have to be in place if you want people to follow them. Like the city is doing now, right? Right. Exactly. And up until now, I think most of our eggs have been in the personal responsibility basket as we've waited for a vaccine. And now things have gotten serious enough that the city is stepping in with more regulations, which they say will help. Gretchen Chapman says will help. I do think the one thing to note at this point is that now that the restrictions are in place, for it to work, people have to follow the rules. And, you know, that's what the city means when they say to beat this pandemic, we all have to work together. It's going to be hard to enforce this type of regulation that extends into somebody's private home. So that's where That's where the personal responsibility bit does come in, and everybody has to work together to get the case counts down and save lives. Well, Nina, thank you not only for this, but for all your reporting during the pandemic. You're really doing very valuable public service journalism, so thanks. Oh, thanks so much, Annette. I'm happy to help. That was WHYY health reporter. Nina Feldman. The Why is produced by me, Annette John Hall, along with Alex Stern, Kelsey Hansen, Sabrina Boyd Serka, Buffy Gorilla, and Malcolm Burnley, under the editorial direction of Ariella Cohen. Hit me up on Twitter at AnnetteJH. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll talk Tuesday. Mm-hmm.